Hiya everyone and welcome back to another installment of Wild Messy Infinite Love. I am Eric Snader and I have an absolutely cracker of a podcast to give to you this week. Um, my wife is currently in the other room listening to listening to she's watching Grey's Anatomy um that's her big um tv show right now so if you hear that in the background that's what's going on um it is a beautiful beautiful Saturday afternoon the sun has been out most of the day it's been warm it's been wonderful and this podcast that you are about to listen to is magnifique it is incredible it was so inspiring it was so compelling it was so interesting getting a chance to sit down with the one the only kelly drury um drury drury i always mess up her last name kelly drury um she's a life coach in the dc area she's a former um seminary grad from Wesley Theological. So I met her through that and through my wife who was taking a lot of classes with her. And she is just a wonderful, wonderful individual who shines with happiness and joy and compassion and all this other great, 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 great stuff. So I hope you enjoy this wonderful podcast. Once again, um, if you enjoy it, Go ahead and share it with folks. Um, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Um, rate it, review it. Um, all that kind of stuff will help make this podcast more visible for future folks. So um, thank you. Thank you once again for listening. Enjoy this wonderful hour, hour and a half or so of just a beautiful, beautiful conversation with a wonderful wonderful human being in Kelly Drury. Let's talk about it. <laughs> All right. Um, also... Is there like a defined like cutoff date where you're like, or cutoff time where you're like, I need to be out of here by a certain time? Oh, um, so I just have to be at work at six. Okay. So, and I have a meeting at five. I don't know if it will go that long. Okay. But. Yeah. Just to. Yeah. So I, I'm good. Okay. I was just running some errands and then, so. You are I can do fine. that after. Right. I've got a timer. Well that nice and dark because that's running it's plugged in it's all good i've got my questions all written out Ooh, look at so you. i'm not like looking at my phone so i can be a little more engaged Present. so i love it what is a crazy but true fact about you kelly drury okay well crazy. i did pronounce that right right yes pretty pretty close <laughs> drury drury it's, yeah i know people want to call it dreary but it's drury you are like the least dreary person I, know. I, know. <laughs> I know a little ironic don't you think <laughs> Yes, yeah, so it's Kelly Drury. Um, a fun fact about me is that I have an undergraduate degree in fashion merchandising. Really? Yes. That is something that I never knew. What led you to going for a fashion merchandising degree? Well, I fell in love with fashion when I worked in retail. Okay. 
Um, How long did you work in retail for? When I was in high school, it was just a little high school job, but they'd always put me back in the fitting room because I would get so, I would always sell the most. Not mm-hmm. because I had to, because I don't like to be salesy, but I would get really excited. Right. You can imagine. Yes. I'd be like, we have these earrings that look so good with that <laughs> dress. And come to find out years later, what I really liked about it was A, the creativity, and B, how it made people feel to see themselves it's okay. something they wouldn't have picked out. So that took me years because I worked in the fashion industry. It was not happy. Right. Okay. So, so like, what what area of the fashion industry did you work in? Were you, like, were you, like, one of those people who was, like, sketching out these dresses and being, like, this is, like, next year's fashion? Or, like, was it more, like, you know, more like the, the billboards and the posters that you see around that, you know, like... That side of merchandising? Well, yeah. I Actually, I did do a merchandising internship, but I worked mostly, I worked with an image consulting studio in Chicago, which I really enjoyed. Uh, And then I ended up doing kind of like personal shopping, styling kind of work. Okay. Um, And and more so merchandise people as opposed to visual. And you're from the Midwest originally. I am from the Midwest. So you grew up in Illinois? I did. I grew up in Illinois. Okay. Yep. And I moved all around from there. And then I, I moved soon after graduation to St. Louis, fell into the missions field, and that took me to Oklahoma, where I worked for a nonprofit. Okay. Yeah. So you've been, you've been all over the place, which I is will. so wonderful. So, 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 so wonderful. So, like, what about the fashion industry was not, like, something that jived with you? Like, what, what about it was something that you were like, oh, I just don't like this, I don't want to do this? Yeah, I would say... The thing that really annoyed me was the lack of creativity and more so just f- kind of like keeping up with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to look like Susie, my neighbor, because if Susie has it together. So I worked with a lot of high-end retail work mm-hmm. and a lot of high-end clients. And with that, there wasn't a lot of creativity. They just wanted to fit in. Right. And so I felt, like, bored. You know, mm-hmm. like I would want to mix like a vintage Chanel piece from a thrift store with some some new like Tory Burch or something rather than, oh, I have to keep up with the latest and greatest. And I would always be honest with my clients. I wouldn't lie to them. Did that get you into trouble with your clients? No, or? actually, they respected me and they trusted me. Mm-hmm. And actually, in the long run, that actually builds more trust with mm-hmm. people. But and the women I worked with all women for the first time in that kind of and I'm usually a girl's girl. I have tons of girlfriends. But this environment particularly was very, like, com- competitive and kind of catty and gossipy. Okay. I just, it wasn't my thing. Didn't want to have anything to do with that. No. So, from there, you got driven into missions. So, like, what kind of what kind of stuff were you doing in, like, St. Louis and Oklahoma? So, I worked for um, the Dream Center. Okay. Which is uh, under Joyce Meyer Ministries. Okay. And so she started this church, and they did a lot of, like, inner city work, like Adopted Block, and they would put on kids' shows. So I used to be a Joyce Meyer fan okay. back in the day. And so <laughs> I was so pumped to work work for them. And then I'd gone to this conference out in Oklahoma, and I found out about this other nonprofit, which they um, were a missions organization who hosted short-term mission trips, so they would coordinate them. So I went and interned with them, and that's when I did all my traveling because we would coordinate these trips all around the world. Okay. Yeah. So how, how far removed from undergrad is this now? So actually, right from undergrad, I 
went to the Dream Center. I was only going to do like a summer leadership program and mm-hmm. then be done. Okay. But I ended up falling in love with it. So I had a full-time job waiting for me and I okay. turned that down. Really? And I stayed and volunteered at the Dream Really? Center. Oh yes. my goodness. My family was like, oh my God, what did we do? <laughs> Kelly following her dreams. I know. <laughs> that's what I've done my whole life is just follow what I wanted to do. Yeah. That's really that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so how long how long were you out in Oklahoma like doing this kind of stuff before you decided to come to DC and enroll at Wesley? So I was in Oklahoma for about six years. Okay. And I had done like gone short term trips and in between that time I lived in Haiti for six months and went back okay. to Tulsa. And then I decided to go to Ecuador for six months and after that I was um, deci- I decided to go home and be closer to my family in St. Louis. And okay. it was actually, I was in St. Louis for about a year and then moved to D.C. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So for those of you who don't know, I met Kelly through uh, my wife, actually, because yes. they were both in the same year in seminary together at Wesley Theological Seminary. Yes. Um, Kelly's now alma mater in my current school. <laughs> um, so that's sort of that's sort of how we first became connected. So this is all brand new to me too because yeah. I was not necessarily familiar with your backstory. Yeah, you know, like I knew you came from the Midwest mm-hmm. and appeared at Wesley, and now you're doing a lot of fun stuff. You are actually a life coach now. I am. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so like, I'd love to. What? Like, what does a life coach do, first of all? Because I know this is not necessarily... Like, I'm totally with it, but, like, I, if someone was to ask me what a life coach does, I would probably just, like, spew some random hippy-dippy answer. So, like, what what is it that a life coach does? You know, I'm glad you asked because it, it's very, like, a very trendy word right now. Yeah. Coach is, like, very... You're going to hear it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and And a life coach does a few different kinds of things depending on the kind of coaches you hire their coaches have different niches mm-hmm. um but an, i'm a clarity and empowerment life coach okay. and so basically a coach in general is someone that journeys alongside of someone in a, in a specific season of their life to to be a sounding board for them mm-hmm. and to hold that space for them and to encourage them on their journey and help them see the blind spots okay and so, because I deal with, like, clarity and empowerment, I really work with a lot of people that are going through transitioning, kind of needing to tap into their confidence and 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 their inner voice. Like, I'm someone that's followed my heart every step of the way, and that is something because when I don't do it, I'm miserable. And there are a lot of people that are doing things because they feel like they have to do them, and then they get to that point where they're like, I need something different. Right. Actually, a client actually I just started working with um, – was a corporate lawyer mm-hmm. and just wanted to do creative writing. Okay. Um, so just like people in transition. Right. Um, people that are just wanting something new. And so as a coach, I would come along and help steer them along the path because we're meant to be in community yeah. with people. And yeah. so there are health coaches that help people on their health journey. Um, there are creativity coaches. Like I have a couple of coaches in my cohort, the training program I just left, um, are in bands. And so mm-hmm. they actually help band members. Really? Coach people with their confidence, yeah, and how to promote their bands and gain confidence, yeah. So there's literally coaches for every area, and it's really just about being in community and yeah. just having that specific support where it's just 
year, time, like you're holding that space specifically for them. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what... That sounds so fascinating and so wonderful. So like what, what was that thing that like drew you into this? Because obviously you've been like all over the place with like fashion and working in missions and then coming to... Wesley and studying like seminaries, so studying more of like the institutional religious kind of right. stuff and speech. Not necessarily that Wesley is like super institutional religion. They get pretty out there sometimes. But like, so what drew you into this area of life coaching? Yeah, it's a great question. I was in seminary and really deconstructing a lot of the of the beliefs that I came in with, and that's a really uncomfortable season. Yeah, and. I didn't feel very supported okay. in that journey. And I had been seeking out that support. So I tried to find therapists, counselors. I tried spiritual directors. And nothing was really fitting. And I followed this one person on Instagram. And I, everything she posted just like, I was like, yes. It was like honey for my soul. It like always <laughs> made me feel so good. And then I signed up for her newsletters. And I saw that she was a coach. And she did one-on-one coaching. And so I, I too didn't really know what coaching was. Right. And so I kind of read up more about it. And I had a one-on-one call with her just to kind of get to know what she did and how it could serve me. And I ended up hiring her. And that was one of the best decisions I'd ever made. Really? Yeah. And it was in that, because I felt so seen and valued and like, and that's the thing about coaching is you're not diagnosing someone with a problem. You're saying, because we're really raw coming to the table with our own stuff, right? Yeah. But counseling or coaching is like, okay, these things aren't serving you. How do we rewrite them? And you can actually retrain your prefrontal cortex. You're not stuck. We Sometimes when we feel stuck in our stories, we can literally reframe them. The mind is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, working with her, like, really, I felt so validated and like, oh, I can, like, I can just lean into what I feel is right. It's okay. Yeah. Like, I can pe- pave my path. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I want to be able to do this for others. And when I came to seminary, I didn't know exactly what I wanted. Right. I, I just knew for sure that I needed to really dig into my faith system because that was always such a big part of my life. Yeah. In coaching, there are a lot of parallels between being a coach and being a pastor as far as, like, journeying with people, yeah. just in a completely different context, and not being tied to a specific denomination or any of, like, the, the stigma that comes with being a pastor. Like, right. anybody could come to a coach from any faith background. Yeah. So. And I think, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm trying to do with this podcast is, like, yeah. start reorienting how we look at, like, spirituality and look at, like... Yeah. You know, what What are we talking about when we talk about God? Are we talking about some, like, institutional religion? Or are we talking right. about some sort of spirit or source that we all tap into no matter yes. who we are yep. or where we come from? Mm. So, like, that, that, like, that parallel between a life coach and a pastor is something that I totally jive with. I hope the people on the podcast totally, are totally yeah. jiving with, too. Because, I mean, like, that's, that's I mean, that's what it's all about, right? It's, mm-hmm. like, finding a way to vocabulary vocabularize this stuff so that we are seen because it's like a vital part of being in community with one another is having that support, having that validation. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And totally. And, and the thing is, as a coach too, is you're not, a lot of times pastors have a lot of extra pressure on them because they're kind of representing God. Like people view pastors. Yeah. And, and that's like, <laughs> no, all, pressure, no pressure, all pressure pastors. pastors <laughs> uh, no pressure at all. <laughs> And as a coach, it's more like we're a partnership. It's more like 
I'm here to hold space for you, but you're the expert of yourself. Mm. Whereas the faith background that I came from, the pastor was right. And no matter what you felt, right. you were wrong. Yeah. Because it, And you were literally taught to repel any other kind of logic that went against what your your institution like was teaching. Yeah. Because God, that was God's way. And coming to seminary was so liberating for me because I got to cultivate my own voice. And right. that's what I that's what I'm really passionate about is helping people get in touch with their own voice. Yeah. Because that was like the most liberating part of seminary. And I hate when people say, I don't know if it's one of your questions, but <laughs> are you even using your degree? Like why did you even go to seminary? Like that irks me so much because our degree is in us. No matter where we go, there we are. Yeah. Like seminary was such a formative time for me. And it's helped me to be who I am. And that is priceless. Absolutely. I could not resonate more with that at all. Like, I I mean, that's something that I've thought a lot about too. So like, I'm in seminary right now, but I also had like this biblical and religious studies major in my undergrad Mm. degree. And like, I had this concentration in youth ministry, but like, even though like, I'm feeling this call away from youth ministry and like even possibly feeling this pull away from necessarily working in a local church. That doesn't mean like all this stuff that I've learned and all this stuff I've taken in is not still vital in whatever it is I do. I mean like our degree is in us. Oh my gosh. That is like a quote I want to put up on my wall. Like, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's true, right? Like it is such a formative part of who we are. Like it was such a formative experience that helps us be who we are and how we view the world, the lens through which we view the world and then what we do with that. Yeah. So, so you mentioned a couple times now you're like upbringing and like the, the faith background that you come from. So Mm -hmm. is there like a done denomination that you were a part of like if you were to describe what your faith background growing up was like how would you describe it so it evolved I I grew up Catholic and then I went to a Catholic school and when I got to college I actually joined a gospel choir which I loved Mm -hmm. and I became very involved and kind of embraced the Pentecostal kind of movement I really didn't know what it was I was doing I kind of just went along for the ride yeah (laughs) but I was going to a Pentecostal church because I like that tangible I'm an emotional person I like the the charisma and the excitement because Catholic church I respect the church no disrespect but it was boring to me oh my gosh (laughs) I was very bored and as someone who's a feeler you know I was just like bored yeah and so I didn't feel that kind of connection so when I joined the choir and I had that connection I was like yeah yeah. And I'm a very extreme person, so when I'm in, I am, like, all in. <laughs> and so I went to a Pentecostal church, and then that led me, I fell in love with, I think I mentioned Joyce Meyer, mm-hmm. and, like, her teaching, which whom I still respect her as a person. I think she's very genuine. I don't necessarily theologically right. align with her anymore. In fact, I don't. But I respect her. I'm working for her ministry. I did, I was a lot, I was able to see a lot of things, and um, I feel like she's very genuine. Mm-hmm. And so, um... Sorry, I got distracted. I didn't know if he was coming in. Huh? So, yeah. So, I really, then I kind of joined the, like, non-denominational evangelical, conservative evangelical movement. I went right. to a huge mega church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah. So. And then, and then once you came to Wesley, that sort of started falling apart, like... 
Oh, well, I was... You started pulling it apart, or...? It was when I did missions work in Haiti. Okay. I I went there on a short-term <laughs> trip with the nonprofit, and I fell in love with that country and the people. There was just something about it. I don't know why, or... I mean, I do. It was just the people. It just, it just had this, like, impact on me, where I remember leaving and feeling really sad. And I was like, I have got to go back. Right. And so... I did, and it was when I was living in Haiti, rec- recognizing that my like Western Christianity slash colonial mindset wasn't really serving right. the people. Because I really developed relationships with people and kind of started to see the impact of you know it's like we think we're doing good, we think, but it's more it was more like selfish if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, like I was one of those people. Don't judge me, listeners, but like <laughs> that would um, no judgment, no here. judgment. <laughs> That would, like, you know, and I did have some favorite kiddos that we worked at orphanages, and I would take pictures, you know, and, like, look at me. I'm this, like, angelic missionary, you yeah. know? And I, I love what I did, and I didn't think of it as being, you know, bad after taking theology in the global poor, mm-hmm. taking class in seminary. I re- recognized, and it kind of solidified what I started to, to feel in Haiti. And there was just a lot of my, the leadership that I was working with was, like, really spiritually manipulative, Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone's experienced that, but I got almost got sent home for being rebellious uh, for asking questions. Really? Because things started to just be like, this is weird. Yeah, things just were like so obnoxious that I had to ask questions. Yeah. It was bad. It was, But I almost needed something to like jerk me out of it because it was like being in this country and then being with these people that were like crazy Christians. I mean, they were on like way at the end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Very manipulative. Right. Um. So that's when I, that's when I started to... To ask the questions. Yeah. Yeah. I always find it so interesting. It's like when you start asking those questions, that's when like things start to expand. And that's when people get like really like uncomfortable and really like, whoa, I don't know if you should be asking those kinds of questions. Literally. I was, yeah, I got like reprimanded for asking them. Yeah. So coming back from that trip, I was there for six months. I remember getting my own one bedroom apartment. I had lived at this in Haiti one room with six girls oh. so I got my one bedroom and I was like I was like in heaven and I remember laying in my bed looking at my and I had vaulted ceilings I mean it was like a dream oh my goodness and I remember laying there and just being like God I don't even know what it looks like to follow you anymore but show me mm-hmm. I invite you and I, I'll never forget that prayer and it has been a journey yeah since then yeah because yeah. I was like really intense I mean I didn't drink I mean date I mean I was very like fundamental yeah you were you were doing the right thing i was doing it yep and judging everybody that <laughs> oh no, yeah i was is. right <laughs> i had the answers and you were wrong yeah and yeah. that's safe yeah yeah of course and that's the other thing that i talk a lot about with people like i in my opinion and this is my single opinion there's lots of opinions out there of course yeah one i think one of the reasons people are drawn to these, like, big, fundamentalist, non-denominational evangelical churches is it presents a space, one, where you can sort of, like, merge into the crowd. Yep. But then it also gives you the opportunity to not ask questions, to not doubt, to not have, like, any of that anxiety or, like, that mystery of life because it just gives you all the answers. So, like, it gives you that checklist. So you just, like, check it off, like, yep, I prayed this week. Yep, Yep, I put money in the offering plate. Yep, I was out on the street handing out tracts. 
I got my golden check, ticket check, to check. heaven. I, I don't have to good. worry about anything else. Yeah. yeah, and I actually had a coach that I had worked with at one point, and she too went through a similar kind of faith evolution. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that she believes when you the more dogma there is, like when you're a healthy human and you're you've dealt with some things and you're okay with the tension of the unknown, mm-hmm. like you've dealt with some like it's just you outgrow that dogma, you outgrow that those safety nets yeah and but if you come from like a really chaotic upbringing or like there's it's a safe space it's like you have the structure yeah like like you said the the boxes to check and you know you know who's in and who's out Mm -hmm. and there's safety and security and knowing that you're part of the in tribe yes yeah yeah Yeah. and there is something really comforting about being a part of a community yeah um that thinks just like you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's beautiful. Yeah. Until it's not. Yeah. yeah. It's it's beautiful until it starts restricting outside voices and yes. outside people also either being a part of the community or starts restricting you from going into those communities. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or even even having an open mind because sometimes you'll go like I. I went to this big church and they would go to these communities and they would go to different countries. But it was like, they came with their own agenda. Right. It was and almost kind of like white savior-ish. Yes. Yeah. Totally. And it was almost like you had a shield of anything that countered your belief system. Because, and so it was hard to be, it was hard to let it seep into you because it's almost like you have this invisible shield around you mm-hmm. to black out anything that didn't line up with the teaching that you've been taught. Right. So you, you really didn't have the space to challenge. You'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Or let me really... He- it was more so I'm here to save you. Yeah. Not, hey, like, what's going on? Let's, let's, let me hear about you. Tell me more about your world. What can I... You know, how can I serve you? Yeah. I'm here to save you rather than coming at it from the point of we're here to save each other. Yeah. And yes. we're here to learn and grow from y- each other. Yes, exactly. And I hate it when we go to different countries and think that we've got the answers. And yeah. really, there's a lot that we can learn from everybody. Mm-hmm. So I think we all have little pieces of the puzzle. It's yeah. my humble opinion. Yeah. No, and, you know, talking about, you know, when things fall apart, like when we do break out of that bubble or when we do let the yeah. shield down yeah. and let someone else speak to us and mm-hmm. actually impact us, it's almost like one of my favorite images comes from Richard Rohr who talks mm. about it like you've got this paper bag around you or this box around you and you need to punch your way out of there and like mm. when, when that hole enters in or when that when that space opens up for the outside to get in or for you to get out everything sort of falls apart yeah. and then from there from that deconstruction point that's where you start picking up the pieces and putting it all back together again. Yeah. So it's almost like a three-stage thing where we're born in this box, we punch our way out, or someone punches their way in, and then things fall apart. And then we take those pieces and those things that we want to hang on to, and we take the new things that we've learned, and we build it into this new thing that we're yep. a part of. We, yep. we reform our world. We rebuild yes. our understandings of what it means to be in community. And it's it's a constant process of forming and building and then deconstructing and then rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's how expansive growth happens. And totally. we're, we're continually going through this process. But so many fundamentalist Christians 
they find themselves just stuck in that box and they don't let other people punch their way in and they don't punch themselves out. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't become deconstructed and they just stay in that small box rather than letting it grow and letting it expand through embracing like the full aspects of our life. Sorry, yeah. I'm like talking a bunch. No, no, <laughs> this is good. I mean, no, this is so true though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, I'm just thinking of like, I'm envisioning just like people and, and some people just don't know that they're in that box. And yeah. That's, and that's, what's just so hard because there, there are, I know a lot of very well-meaning people Yeah. that don't understand the implication of their lack of getting out of their box. Right. Like they don't understand how that's actually hurting people in a sense. Right. Um, because their box for them is like the end of the world. Yes. And that's that's the expanse of things when there's yeah. there's more to it than that. I know for me, you know, like going to college and getting into these theology classes yeah. and having that space to ask these questions. Yeah. That was someone coming in and punching a hole through my yep. paper bag. Yeah. And like that wow. was the beginning of the deconstruction, but I would have never gotten there on my own. Yeah. It was being in those spaces yes. where that was allowed that yes. all of a sudden it was like, "Oh, there's more to this. There's more than this." Mennonite bubble that I grew up in. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you grew up in Mennonite. Yeah. That's, and, and the cool thing is, too, is sitting in a room with people who come from all these different backgrounds and still hold different views. And to me, that was something that was really new, too. Mm-hmm. I've either been in room... I've been in different kinds of rooms, but in all the rooms, everyone's really thought the same, basically. Right. Like, 99% of the time, you know? So it's like... To be in this space where, like you said, it's safe to ask questions. There are people coming from all these different contexts. Right. And, all, and then we're have, it's like, yes, ask questions. Yes, tell me what you think about this. Yeah. What, write a 40-page credo, <laughs> yeah. you know? No big deal, <laughs> yeah. you know? And that, to me, was the most liberating because kind of where I came from. And this was never blatantly stated, but, like, women's voices just really weren't as valued. Yeah. I mean, I can't, like, the church, they had, like, a woman pastor, like, co-pastor or whatever. Like, the, the, she was the pastor's wife, but she would preach. Yeah. But still, and then when the pastor, the pastor had died, and then his wife did take over. So it's not like, it's not like it was, like, blatant, but it was more so, like, women had, men were the head of the household. Yeah. Women were there to support their husbands. Like, women had to do whatever the husband said. Yeah. And then they said the flip side is, you know, what men love their, but that's, like, for me saying, like, oh, Slavery was okay because as long as the owners were good to the slaves, then it was okay. Yeah. No, like we're equals. Yeah. And obviously, slavery is wrong. You know. Right. Yes. Nothing about it. Yes. Is okay. Right. Exactly. And like, I, I mean, you might resonate with this, but like the phrase I heard growing up a lot was like, "The men are the head of the household, oh, but the woman is the next, so they can turn the head." And but like even then, that's still creating that's manipulative. a dis- <laughs> manipulative, and it's creating a disproportionate yes. relationship. Absolutely, you know, and women did at the time when they weren't given the space to have that power. They 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 used their power in a way that they could, which was to kind of be the neck and manipulate the head. Right. And now we're in a space where women are, like, done. Yeah. You know? And and using their voice and saying, no, I'm going to head, too. You Amen. Know? I'm going to be my Amen. own head. Yes. I have my own head. Reach. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so, anyway, I think that's powerful. Like, two equal partners coming together. Yeah. You know? And, and doing life together. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. I... I one of the most... One of the most frustrating things that I see, like, on Facebook and Instagram all the time is, like, 
spouses who say, I can't believe my spouse puts up with me. Like, why? I'm so lucky. Like, I don't deserve this person. Yes, you do. You absolutely do. You, you, they are not putting up with you. They are accepting you. Like, that's, that is something completely different. But you're right, accepting, because we are marrying human beings yeah. who were faulted. Right, exactly. You know, and at 100%. And you're right, loving someone does, you are choosing to love and accept all parts of that person. Yeah. And yeah. we all are worthy and deserving of that. Right. So. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And, yeah. I, think, I see that a lot, actually. Yeah. I see it all the time. And every time I see it, I turn to my wife. I'm like, look at this person saying this. Like, why don't you just say thank you for, thank you for yes, accepting me? Yes. I, I love you. Like, yeah. That is, oh, that's a sweet moment. Thank yes. For accepting. Yes. That is beautiful. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. That's a nice reminder. And that's, and from what I understand, that's sort of like what being a life coach is, though, mm-hmm. too, right? It's like finding that place of acceptance or finding yeah. that place of embrace and, like you said, like creating that space, right? Yeah, it's 100%. And that is what a lot of it is, is sometimes when we have these, these negative things, we try to just change them mm-hmm. rather than giving the space to honor what they're trying to tell us. Yeah. And, like, fear or doubt or... Or lack of belief, or lack of um, esteem, or lack of feeling worthy to be loved. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of it is just like naming those stories and then rewriting them. Like, hey, I may actually feel like, man, he's putting up with me, but reframing that. And you did a great reframe. And that's kind of what it means to reframe the story, is saying, actually, I'm very thankful I have a partner who accepts me because I accept me. Yeah. And that comes back to like the relationship with self. Mm-hmm. Um, accepting ourselves and all of our dark corridors of our being, yeah. you know, and that's powerful. Yeah. And so coaches are there to, to see those blind spots because sometimes you'll say a phrase over and over and you don't even pick up, you don't even recognize you're saying it. Right, exactly. And it's a sneaky belief that you've had embedded in you since you were a child that yeah. you just took as your truth. And the cool thing is we can really form the realities that we want. Yeah, by just rewriting them. But it takes someone there to like, hey, you've been saying I should do this a lot. What do you mean by should? Why do you keep thinking that you should do something? Mm-hmm. Brene Brown has that like shitting on yourself. Don't shit on yourself. <laughs> I'm a Brene Brown fan. Okay, Brene don't Brown. shit on yourself. I do too, okay? I'm a sucker. I love her. I mean, she's brilliant. And yeah. she's, she's like liberated so many people. Mm-hmm. From themselves yeah. and those shame cycles and the shoulds, which perpetuates shame, you know, and all that. Right. So, but right. yeah, so coaches are there to help, help people on that journey and to reconnect with themselves and to reframe those stories that aren't serving them. Wow. That is incredible. That sounds yeah. like incredible work. Thank you. I yeah. do what you do. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I can totally connect you with tons of wonderful <laughs> coaches too. So how long, how long have you been doing life coaching for now? I launched my practice in November. Okay. And I graduated November of 2018. Mm-hmm. And so, what is it now? March? April. Today's April. So, it's been about, you know, five and a half months. Or so. It's still pretty new. Right. So. What do, what do you love most about it right now? So, I and love most. you may most, have already talked about it, but. No, I think I just love the possibility of it. Okay. And I like being able to stand with people as they're on their journey. Cause that's something I've always just loved doing naturally. Mm-hmm. And 
to me, that's liberating. And also making it be whatever I want to be. I'm actually working with a business coach right now, mm-hmm. cultivating just different programs that I can do and things like that. And for me, it's just like, well, A, I love creating something. Mm-hmm. And then using the gifts that God has put inside of me to serve the world. And and I just, I like seeing people have those aha moments. Yeah. You know, where they feel alive and they feel aligned with who they are. And yeah. the freedom to be who they are. Yeah. And we all need that. Like, I was working with a coach and I had that aha moment too. I was like, yeah, I have been really being really hard on myself. You know, just having someone just there to help you. Because like, I mean... I, was, I told someone that I was working with a coach. She's like, you are a coach. Why do you need a coach? And I was like, oh, my God. I think we all, <laughs> hey, I think we all need therapy. I think we all need coaches. <laughs> and so because we need those people to point out the blind spots yeah. and, and the things that are holding us back. And so, and I love being that for people. Yeah. Like holding that space. But even then, I mean, like we're never done learning. We're never Absolutely done not. learning about who Hell we are. No. Like, no. What? Oh my God, never. <laughs> like you were saying, it's like once you've broken that down and you're rebuilding, you're con- I, I feel like I'm still rebuilding. Yeah. And I think of seminary, I have this analogy in my head, and I don't know if it's going to make sense to you, but you know how like when you put cookies in the oven and they're baking and you pull them out of the oven, they're still baking. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> I'm still baking yeah. from seminary. Like I feel like I'm still reconstructing mm-hmm. you know I almost feel like I left with more questions than I came with right but I've learned to embrace those questions yeah. and lean into them yeah rather than feeling like I had to have all the answers definitively you know like I got more comfortable with that tension yeah if that makes sense no that makes perfect sense I love that yeah. analogy thank you <laughs> I actually wrote a blog on it. I haven't posted it yet, but I was like, I'm still baking. Yeah. Like, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, one of the things that I think about is, like, I started this podcast because I listened to podcasts, and, like, they've been so informative yeah. and impactful for me, but that yeah. doesn't mean I stop listening to podcasts. <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, my God, I hope not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, my, absolutely. I think that that, we are, and I think that that is what encourages other people to grow, is being around people who are constantly growing. Yeah. So. It also, I think it also strikes a certain authenticity. Like, yeah. you're you're being a life coach for someone, but you're also prescribing something that you're prescribing to. It's yes. like, you're like, I, you know, like you're smoking what you're selling. Yes. I'm drinking that's, the juice. Yeah. But like, absolutely. But that's, that's an authentic way of being in community with yeah. people. Cause I mean like people inherently can smell when someone's being fake. It feels yeah. like, it almost feels like you can tell right off the bat, like, Oh, this person's saying this thing, but they don't actually follow it themselves or mean it themselves. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah, you're right. And I and I definitely don't have it all together. And or, or no one really does. Like Of course not. And I think that I love being in community with people and honestly, and I feel like I'm constantly growing and I'm I'm gathering more tools in my tool belt as I go. Right. And that's what I feel like coaches help do is help you add tools to your tool belt. Okay. Wow. I'm all about the analogies today. Yeah. No, I love it. I am loving it. So, you know, I'm trying to think what question I want to ask next. There's so many of them. Um, let's see. Let's see what you do with this question. Okay. This is a very broad question. Oh, let's have it. 
What is the meaning of life? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> How long do we have? <laughs> you have as this can be as wide open or as narrowed in as you want it to be. But like, you know, if if you had to think like why are we doing what we're doing? Right. Like what right. what is the purpose for being in community with one another? Why if you want to take it more metaphysical, why are we hurling around on this space rock at a million miles an hour? Right. Like, no, I, you know, I think that's a fabulous question. I think we, it could go a lot of different ways. Right. Um, immediately came to my mind after thinking about it is just like, we're human beings. And I think living into what it means to be human, I think, and, and with that, all humans need community. Right. And I think that the point of life is to continue to grow as a human and to, yeah. and to take, and it's not all about like giving is very important, but also like stopping and enjoying this life that we have. I don't know if I necessarily can answer like the meaning of right. life, you right. know, cause I don't know, but I, I've learned to be comfortable with that. But what, yeah. what I say, I mean, I, I know that living with purpose just feels better to me. Mm-hmm. And of course, I could be wrong. None of us have any of the answers. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you, but absolutely no one has the true answer. But I know I know for sure looking up at the sun feels really good on my face. Yeah. I know for sure feeling the breeze on a warm day feels amazing. I know hearing the sound of the waves hit the seashore is like the most soothing thing in the world to me. Yeah. And... I, you know, there are a few things I know for sure, and I, I try to just follow that intuitive, that, that intuitive side of me one day at a time and to help make people's lives better. Right. And I think if we all, like, lived to honor ourselves and that inner knowing, which some people call it spirit, some people call it intuition, some people call it gut... Um, you know, follow those, those inklings, then it's like we get closer and closer to truth each day. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know, it's a hard question. That, no, it is a hard how question. How often do you stop and be like, <laughs> I mean, I guess to love and be loved. To right. Get, you know? But, I mean, like, that's that's a fundamental aspect of what it means to be human, too, is yeah. to be able to rest in that wrestling of having some answers and then not having yes, others. Exactly. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone has the answer to what is the meaning of life. Because nope. every, not only is it, an impossible question to answer, but then every life is different. Every exactly, and I I think as humans, some of I think we kind of need some anchoring points, right? Like right. I think there are some things that kind of anchor us, like those truths, the things we do know for sure, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that those keep us grounded in a sense, but then we can grow from them. Right, right. As, and one of the things that I talk about a lot is one of those grounding points is like this spirit or source or. If you want to use the word God, you know, like there's something floating around in the essence of the cosmos, in this planet, in, in the sunshine that's streaming down on your face or in the ocean or in these relationships that we have that is fundamentally, fundamentally known by all humans in one way, shape, yes, all beings Mm -hmm. in one way, shape or form. So like our relationship that we have with ourself and the relationship that we have with others and the relationship that we have with nature and the world are all important aspects, but we all have different ways in, what we, in which we relate to these yep, things. Yeah, exactly. 
and connect and and grow and and yeah, like you said, relate and commune. Right. I just I learned it. You're right. It does look different for everyone, and I think it's just about. You know, I still would consider myself, I guess, technically a Christian, but because that's how I've grown up to connect to source to God, right. and that's I lose that term a little loosely, to be honest. Yeah. But I, I'm going to go, if I were to go to meet someone that was Hindu, I would want to learn more about how they connect to God. Yeah. And I would never want to say, well, actually, I think you're actually wrong. Yeah. You know, have you never but, heard of this guy named Jesus? <laughs> it's one of the most asinine responses. It is. It's hard. And I, and honestly, I have more respect for scripture than I used to mm-hmm. in a less romanticized way. Right. It's more like, oh, wow. You know, like, these people were real humans. Yeah. When you look at it, like... We, I come from a background that, like, the kind of the evangelical church would really romanticize the Bible. Right. And... Like, this stuff actually Yeah, happens. but, like, imagine yeah. what that's really like. Right. You know, like... <laughs> no one actually and, wants to oh. imagine, like, the Canaanites being slaughtered by the Israelites. Exactly. Like, but they all... But everyone just, like, gets into this group thing where, yeah, it happened. But, like... That's that's part of that getting out of that box too is someone punching the hole through yeah. and saying, Yeah, but what's it actually like to commit genocide and is that something that we really no, wanna get yeah. behind? Like Exactly. Or like, you know, in the first century, you know, marriage for in- I hate when we base our what the institution of marriage should look like based on the Bible because in the Bible it was it was a bis- it was a business trade. It was yeah. a, it was a business agreement. It had nothing to do with love. Right. And, First Corinthians had nothing to do with romantic love, you know? Right. And and I think, so I think, for me, I just, putting it in context was so liberating. Yeah. And you're right, like, whoa, and it was it was just, like, a lot to take in, like, the reality of it. This yeah. isn't just, you know, and so. But again, that makes people uncomfortable, because then all of a sudden they're saying, wait, are you saying that there are some things in the Bible that we shouldn't listen to? Are you saying that there are some things in the Bible that we actually need to take a second look at? Or we might actually have to say, yeah, that's not a contextual relevancy in our world right. today. Exactly. But that is such an uncomfortable thing to talk about when you've been taught your entire life, this is the rule book to what it means to live. Absolutely. And and I feel like people think that if they don't follow how they've been taught to interpret it, that they're disrespecting it. And I feel like you can have both. You can honor the text. Like, I feel like I have more respect for the text now than I used to. Yeah, for sure. And I still wrestle with what it's telling me. And I can take the glimpses and the wisdom from the time that it was sharing in that context and apply that wisdom to today. Yeah, Rather absolutely. than taking the context and, like, what they were, like literally right. and then it's taking the first century situations and applying although there are a lot of things still happening today which is sad but that's right so that's the other that's the other we're clearly not learning <laughs> right, right but that's like the other really cool aspect of not just the bible but a lot of these holy texts yeah. that we have it's not only like the stuff that you need to contextualize but it's also fundamentally humans who are wrestling with what is the meaning to life? Yes. Who am I as yes. a person? Is, How do yep. I live in community with yep. other people? What does this, like, what is my place in this world? Yes. Like, why should I be taking care of the planet? Why am I, like, yeah. all these kinds of stuff that's still fundamentally hard-baked into these texts because it's hard-baked into what it means to be human. Right. It's hard-baked into any book that you pick up. It's hard-baked into any music that you listen to. You know, like, yeah. anything that you encounter, it's hard-baked in there. 
Totally. So, but yeah, like getting back, getting back to your, um, talking about, you know, like I kind of like, I hold loosely this Christian identity. I think, I think that's something that not only I resonate strongly with, but I think a lot of people resonate strongly with because there's at least, at least in my opinion, there's this growing, maybe not anticipation, but there's this growing desire or want for people to be able to expand this and be able to understand that while this is vocabulary that really resonates with me, that doesn't necessarily mean that this is vocabulary that will resonate for the entire right. world. Like, yeah. I, I still use very Christian, Christianese kind of language and vocabulary and images, but I use that as a way of talking about the thing that's in the room or yeah. the thing that's within all of us. And a Hindu describes that differently a Buddhist describes that differently but that doesn't mean that it's bad anything less heretical or like you're going to hell because you believe that and that's that's that fear base and so I was listening to a podcast actually and she asked this question and I thought it was really beautiful and she said is your belief system liberating you yeah and I thought wow you know, because I know for a long time I did not feel liberated. Yeah. I felt very oppressed, not directly, right? I was in a, like, nice people. I wasn't, like, they weren't horrible or anything. They were nice. It was in a fun community. and You were there by your own I choice. I was there by my own choice. Not, you know, I wasn't forced into it. Um, but I wouldn't say that it was liberating. I kept feeling like I was always trying to strive to be better and better and to, to turn off myself and so like for instance a lot of christians use the whole like flesh for spirit as it's stated yeah i can't i can't use that anymore because it was used to really oppress me and i'm such an intuitive person right so to me that was like really disturbing and so now i like to think of it like intuition versus my ego like what is this? What is this feeling right inside of me? And then oh, is this my ego trying to protect me or trying to prove myself? Right. That's how I view that. And those are the, probably the you know there are a lot of parallels in all these faith systems. You know, even in New Age stuff or right. whatever whatever way you want to connect to Source, Universe, God. There are going to be all these parallels. Right. And I think the key is to just be open yeah. and not get too married to something. Yeah. But and at the same time, just honoring where you're at because it is scary. Yeah. To, bu- to burst open. Yeah. Um, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. We need we need support in those seasons. And to find people that, that resonate with us, you know, that's like adding and building rather than mm. pushing us down. Yeah. So, anyway. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, let's see. What is one of the most impactful experiences that you've had, and you may have already answered this, but what is like the most, one of the most impactful experiences that you've had with spirituality or religion or with God, you know, like when you think about it, it's sort of like that sort of, to use a Christian term, that Ebenezer stone, you like look back and say like, oh, that was a time where like I came into contact with the divine or that, this, mm. this was a time that was like so formative yeah. for me. I'm, this might be digging a little bit too. Yeah, well, I can think of two. Okay. So when I I had mentioned the choir, I joined this choir, and 
before our spring concert, we did, we all prayed in like a circle. We didn't even practice. We just prayed. And I remember just like feeling this physical presence of like this literal weight just being lifted off of me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was like, Whoa. and then I went home that night and a friend of mine prayed. I told her what happened. She was so excited. <laughs> and she prayed with me on the phone. And I remember physically feeling that prayer. It was almost like I had this weird, weird I say that because it was just different. This season of just like, this like tangible presence mm-hmm. of something greater than me. Yeah. And it sounds a little creepy the way that I'm describing it. But it was just like this peace. It was more of like this peace. Right. And this, like, almost like I could literally feel things happening and shifting inside of me. And I remember I would just, like, lay in my bed and listen to, like, worship music and just feel this, like, immense, palpable peace that I can't describe. Yeah. And it was beautiful. But that, I mean, that's one of the beauties of religion, too, is it gives you just that space to say, like, there is something here that I can't exactly describe. At least yes. religion at its best. Yes, and at its best. Exactly. Its best. And, you know, I had grown up in such a regimented faith, and I always, like, knew there was something greater than me. Yeah. And I always kind of questioned certain things in the church, and then, but there wasn't, like, the space to express my feelings for the divine that I wanted to in the Catholic Church because I'm right. a very expressive big yeah. So to have the gospel choir where we were just like belting it out yeah. and to have, it's almost like I just opened myself up for something and it was just like I, it was, it kind of created that space to have that experience. Yeah. So I would say that was a very formative time. Like it really made me feel so loved and so seen by something greater than myself. Yeah. And the only way that I could, like you said, verbalize it was with this, faith system that I was just kind of handed like oh yeah. this explains this yeah because that makes us feel better yeah and then and then I would say seminary was the next formative right. thing I mean obviously having the missions experience where I like questioned yeah like this is not right this isn't serving this community there was something inside of me that was like this isn't right mm-hmm. and then coming to seminary and finding my voice in it all and yeah. facing those limiting beliefs that hey I do have something valuable to say yeah and so yeah I would say those are probably the two. And, and connecting with God on more of an intellectual level. And, like, I'm a feeler. I love this piece. And yeah. it's like, oh, I could just, like, lean back in this. <laughs> I kind of missed that. God, I wouldn't mind that again. <laughs> but that, but the, it was just something that had more depth. This was a more depth kind of thing. Right. Because I was going into the core of who I was and examining yeah. my relationship with the divine. Yeah. My experience with <clears throat> sort of, like, the academic side of theology and religion is it gave me more vocabulary it gave me like it's almost like it gave me more firepower to be able to say like or like more tools in your belt like more stuff in my backpack that I could pull out and look at and you know like shape and that helped shape and mold me yeah but like it it just gave me more it gave me that deeper sense of like oh there's more to this there's more to unpack there's more layers yeah Absolutely. And I think even bringing that into coaching has been really valuable to me because I've really dug deep. Yeah. And then I can come and hold space for someone and in a space that is really deep and and safe because I've done a lot of my own work. And coaches, really, like faith leaders, can't really lead people further than they have gone themselves. And I think because I've gone in and, and named a lot of those those things that were holding back. So I faced a lot of myself in seminary. 
And that really set me up. And then I did coach training, which yeah. I just finished, which I'm really excited about. Woo! Congratulations. Thank you. So, um, but yeah, and I think that having having done that and dug into that and just expanded my mind so much mm. has helped me approach really any situation. Right. Because like you said, we've got all those tools kind of put in our... Yeah. And it, I, the other thing I always find so interesting is that even when you're doing like the interior work of like self-discovery mm-hmm. and like shifting through, you know, like what are these processes and these things that I've been handed that aren't necessarily the most beneficial for me or, you know, like whatever that looks like, even that can be a moment of expansion because oftentimes people talk about, oh, well, you need to go find someone else. You need to go talk to someone other than yourself. And Mm -hmm. that is all fantastic. Do that. Go and talk with your migrant neighbor. Go and, you know, travel and see new places and experience new things and go to a Hindu temple and talk to, I'm not even sure what, a guru? Um, I think so. Yeah. Like, go and talk to someone from a different religion, all that kind of stuff. But also, encounter yourself. Because that, that too, is an expansion. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and really listening and honing in to, like, what is your body telling you in this yeah. moment? And, and like you said, like, taking in all these other voices and letting them, like, form you. And I love this phrase of chewing the meat and spitting out the bones. Of, like, when you encounter... Like, because there are people that I'm not going to agree with, like, necessarily, but I can still learn something. Yeah. And I think that kind of taking what I... Kind of extracting the good from that situation and putting that in. Right. And then leaving the rest. Right. Yeah. And I think that that... The process of getting to know yourself helps you to do that. Absolutely. Because um, you're, you're checking in. Yeah. You know? So. And that's... Uh, I know for me, over the last, like, year or so one of the most impactful ideas and sort of practices that I'm still trying to work on and there are still days where I don't do it at all, but like being present in my body and listening, not only to like, well, what's your spirit and your gut and your mind telling you, but like what is your physical body telling you about this? Because even your physical body has signals and signs and is saying like, don't do this or yes, "Yes, you need to go and do this thing, whatever that thing is. Absolutely. I totally agree. I 100% believe our body talks to us. Yeah. And so I think taking care and honoring it in that sense, like getting enough sleep, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It'll tell us when we're not doing that too, (laughs) you know? But it's like screaming at us to take care of it. And and you said to like commune with our bodies and be in touch. And you said be present. I love that 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 rule. Have you heard of that? Mm -mm. Where it's like you name five things you can see. You name four things you can touch, three things you can smell, two things. All your senses. You know what I mean. Yeah. So five, four, three. So you, so yeah. Look, touch, hear, taste. What's the other side? Smell. Smell. Did I say smell? And smell. Yeah. So anyway, but that helps bring you present into the moment. I know when I can get so, what's going on? What's going to happen now? And what happened then? And like kind of before and after and just like bringing, that's like, I saw that on an app once. I was like, that's so helpful. So I use that practice just to bring me back into my space. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what is, um, what is an insight that you've gained from being a life coach or from the realm of life coaching? 
since yeah. since you also have experience in you know going and seeking out life coaches as well and being coached like what what is an insight that you've gained from that you're never stuck really yep I think that our minds are very powerful I learned I started to learn about this in some of the pastoral care counseling classes and, and learning that uh, in seminary mm-hmm. and kind of some of those things like carried over and so what I've learned in the coaching world and just we can get to a place where we feel stuck and yeah. we can feel really like don't know how to move forward but we're and we can feel that way yeah but we're, we don't have to stay there yeah. And I think that that's what I love about coaching is having that space to unpack those things. And if you unravel it, and actually there is a clear answer to kind of get you to the next phase. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's cool. Like if I'm feeling a certain way or thinking a certain thought, I'm not stuck with that. Yeah. I don't have to land there. I can keep moving. And to me, I think that's one thing with coaching that I've really appreciated in moving forward. And like we can choose to stay small. Or we can continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and expand and expand and expand. So I'd say that's probably one of the biggest things I learned with coaching and, and being surrounded by people that have been continuing to expand and to grow and to evolve and to believe in themselves yeah. and what they have to offer the world and to step out and do something a little unorthodox, you know? It's scary. It's it can be real really scary. scary. Exactly. And so I think that's one of the big things I've learned is we're not stuck. Right. Ever. And there's always a way to move forward. And it's just a matter of, of being in touch with our bodies and like really kind of um, examining what's going on in our heads. And that's why where coaching comes in is like having that space to, to really dig in. Right. So. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I sense that the reason this is such a needed aspect for so many people is because we don't create that space and we just like it's almost like there's this continual drive of achievement at least in America there's this continual drive of like I need to do the next thing like this is the life plan that I've been given you know like you go to college you get married you maybe get a master's you have kids you get a promotion, then eventually you become CEO or, you know, like whatever. So like there's this path that you have to do or like there's these things that, you know, like you just have to achieve and like you just keep going and going and going and you just forget about yourself or you forget about the people around you or, you know, like you forget about these vital aspects of your life. Yeah. Well, and it's so a lot, one of the first things a lot of coaches will do um, is ask like your value system. Because to really sit down and name what are your top five values. Right. And then to approach life operating from those values as opposed to fitting a mold that you told that you need to fit. Yeah. Like, wait, is this aligning with what I even want? You right. know? And I, I, I am inspired by, like, Michelle Obama who talks about in her book, you know, she just followed this path and all of a sudden she's this lawyer because that's what she felt like she needed that's the path like she's made it if she did this and then she recognized hey this isn't actually what feels good to me yeah you know because we don't take that so it's like coaching is like an opportunity to check in Mm -hmm. with self yeah and make moves in the direction of of somewhere that's going to move you forward but first you kind of have to uncover those things that are holding you back right exactly and so many people don't do the uncovering work yes they just like 
press on. Like, oh, I just need to keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Till I get this goal. And then oftentimes, I know for me for a long time, it was, I need to get this goal. And then once I get that goal, I'll be looking forward to the next goal. Because, like, even growing up, so I have, like, three older siblings. So they all, like, went through the process of growing up. They went through adolescence. They got their driver's license. They left for college. They graduated college. They got married. You know, like, they did all these big life goals. And for me, growing up and watching them... All I could think about was I need to get to that next goal. Yep. Like the first thing was I can't wait until I'm 16 and can drive. Mm-hmm. Before that, even before that, it was like I can't wait till I'm 13 so I can watch PG 13 movies. <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> I was I yeah. I was a little sheltered when I was growing well. up, but like you know, like even yeah. even from a young age, we're kind of taught the story of you need to get to those goals, and even once you get those goals, there will be more more goals that you mm-hmm. need to get. And not necessarily saying that it's a bad thing to look right. forward to growing up, but right. like, you know, like you were saying, like where where are your values at, and like where do you actually want to be going, so that you can set goals for yourself that you actually want to with, do, yeah, and that you can really pave your own path. Like right. you don't have to do anything because someone's telling you to, or because someone's telling you the right thing. If it doesn't feel good, do something different. Because yeah. we all have gifts inside of us, and the thing is about gifts is they feel so natural that we don't recognize that they're a, a gift to the world. Right. Because they just feel like, oh, normal. Everybody knows how to do A, B, and C. Right. Because um, it's so easy. Yeah. Because it's easy for you. Yeah. And so really honing in, and that's what I really like to do as a coach, is really watch for those things. Because sometimes people don't even recognize what yeah. they're good at because it's such a, it's so natural. Yeah. That they don't even view it as a gift. And the other thing I've noticed is... It might be a gift, but your process might be different. So, like, Mm -hmm. because you don't fit into the approved way of, you know, like, being in relationship with other people or, like, because you don't fit into so-and-so approved way of writing or being creative. Like, one of of the things that I've wrestled so much with is, you know, like, I'm really passionate about being creative and my medium is, like, writing and speaking and music and, like, that kind of stuff. But there's almost, like, this story or narrative that tells us in order to be creative you need to be artistic yeah but like you could be creative in so many different ways but so many people i hear so many people who are like engineers and mathematicians and scientists who are saying oh i'm not very creative because i don't do art right that doesn't mean that you're not creative that is one thing no i actually did an internship and that was like their biggest thing that they teach they taught was like everybody's creative in their own way like the guy, the guy who ran it, he was a big marketing guy, but he was really, he could come up with all these off the cuff ideas and he got hired to do consulting a lot because he could sell like anything right? because that's the form of creativity. And his wife was a graphic designer. So he used to think, oh, I'm not creative because I'm not an artist. Right. It's the same thing. But he could like sell like my ice cream to an Eskimo. That's yeah. what my mom used to say. <laughs> You know, but that's a form of creativity. Yeah. And so you're right. You're right. It doesn't have to necessarily look like this vision in our heads of what we think it should look like. Right. Or like another example. So like I was helping my wife write some stuff down yesterday and like our processes for writing things down are very different. But even 
even despite that difference, like I'm one of those people who just like word vomits on a page and then like goes back and edits. And my I wife is very like intentional about the sentences that she writes. So yeah. she takes, she takes a lot more time to write a paragraph than I would that probably doesn't need nearly as much editing as I would need. And we're both good writers, yeah. but because our processes are so different not necessarily in this case, but in so many cases, there's sort of, like, the approved method. Right, like, one is right and one is wrong. Right. And if you yes. don't do it the right way, then you're not good at it. Right. Exactly. And that's that's false. Right. Because you're, like you said, we're both good writers. We just approach it different. Yeah. And I think that that is definitely something to remember. To honor that. And, you know, I think that... That that's important to just honor the way that we're made and the way that things. Are. I don't know there's like you hone in and right. develop, but like still honor the way that your body naturally does something. Yeah. So that's where the magic is. Yes, folks, listen to this podcast. <laughs> you in all your units. Yes. Is needed in this world. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Um, if there was one piece of advice that you could impart on the audience, what would it be? And you may have already talked about it. Yeah, I was thinking about that question. I would say that we have everything we need inside of us. And I think that that is something that's really powerful and liberating and scary. Yeah. All in one. One of my, one of my favorite songs that just recently came out, it's a John Bellion song, and it's called Stupid Deep. But the opening line is... What if who I'm supposed to be was always me? Mm. And another line is like, what if where I was going was always here? Like, that that idea just, like, makes me want to weep. Yeah. Because, you know, I know for me it's been this endless... I feel like the past couple of years I've just been, like, trying to figure out who am I and what am I supposed to be? Yeah. Like, almost to an aggressive point where, like, yeah. that's all I think about. But, like, it's here. It's yeah. already here. Yes. It's always been here. Yes. you are, And you are enough. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, and just being. Like, the power of just allowing yourself to be yeah. is, like you said, this is it. Like, you're right. Because I think being goal-oriented goal is beautiful. And wanting to grow, I find myself always wanting to grow and learn and evolve. And I can find myself forcing things as well and not right. necessarily just enjoying who I am right now. Right. Because some days I get up and I want to be a couch potato. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and you're just as lovable. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and totally. Yeah. Our worth does not come from uh, what we produce. That's right. not where our identity lies. And that's not necessarily to say that there isn't work to do in the world either. Absolutely. I mean, like, that's totally a balance that you strike yes. where it's like, yes, this is the time where... I should be producing right. whatever it is I need to produce. Right. But then there's also times where you get up and you don't feel it. And yeah. You don't. And, and you also have to honor those rhythms. You yeah. Know? You think of like, I, I love looking at nature, right? Like you think trees, like they take the winter, you know, they go bare. They're yeah. not really doing a whole lot. Yeah. And there's, they're not like, hmm, I should be doing something. <laughs> right. I mean, their roots are going, but their roots are even growing deeper in those seasons, you yeah. know, because they have their... They're working harder to get their nutrients that the leaves normally produce. So I think that it's something we can, like, almost look to nature for those rhythms. Yeah. And, you know, there are going to be seasons where you might, like, bust out so much work and content. And, right. And then there are going to be seasons where you just got to, like, rest a little bit more. Or I've just, I've had to be someone that really listens to the rhythm of my body. Like, I'm someone that I need sleep. Actually, even in seminary, 
I would go to bed at like 10 p.m. while everybody was staying up writing a paper or studying. And I would wake up at like 5 a.m. to finish or study. Because I would get more done in like two to three hours than I would if I stayed up all out, all night. Yeah. Because then my I had to learn the rhythm of the way that my mind works. And right. that's the thing. is Like, that's the whole tuning into your body. Like, I didn't look as cool as those that like ordered in food at 1 o'clock in the morning and stayed up. <laughs> but you are cool because you are you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So... Yes, I think that honing into that, that we have everything we need and that we are enough and just leaning into our being. That is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Oh. Oh, um, I'm trying to think. I think that's pretty much all of my questions at the moment. This This was fun. This has been so much fun. I know. This has been really good. I've loved having you on Wild, Messy, Infinite love because in case you didn't know that's the podcast that you're listening to let's talk about that at the end of the podcast well you can go back and yeah i know some podcasts they'll like after the it's been recorded then they go in and do like an intro of what it's gonna be about that's probably what i'll end up doing but but no this was great this was a great conversation thank you i had a wonderful time me too if people are interested in asking you to be their life coach and hiring you like is there any do you have like a website do you have materials resources i do so my website is kellyelizabethcoaching.com and you can set up a free discovery call so we can it's just a half an hour call where we can just touch base see if you know i'm someone that could serve you in this season of life and um yeah, I would just definitely love to connect. So you right on the front page of the website, you can hit book a discovery call, and it'll take you right to my scheduling link. Super easy. Easy Perfect. peasy. Um, lemon squeezy. Lemon squeezy. So I would love to chat. So thank Perfect. you so much for having me on. Yeah. This and has do been you, really fun. Do you work primarily in the D.C. area, or are you able to oh, do, like, great question. Yeah. like so, Zoom stuff? Yeah, so I am, stuff? I am located in D.C., but I meet with people via Zoom. Okay. Or I have an Uber conference line if we'd rather do over the phone. Okay. It's your choice, because some people don't want to do face-to-face. I love right. face-to-face. I'll always do it. But right. if you want to do Zoom... So if you're not in the D.C. area, or even if you are in the D.C. area, sometimes it is just easier to do Zoom yeah. or, or conference line. So so no matter where you're no at No matter where you world, are in the world, I would love to work with you. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Thank you so much for having me. We normally end the podcast by saying peace and love, y'all. So would you do the honors? Peace and love, y'all. Kelly Drury. Yes. Drury. Yes. Everyone. <laughs> Kelly Drury, everyone. Woo! Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. This has been wonderful.